Apologetics Canada Ministries has plans for an amazing year of ministry ahead. And that is why on Sunday, September 17th, we are inviting you to this year's launch event. The event is going to be held in Linden, Washington. Logos Bible Software has generously gifted us the use of their Grace Manor estate for this event. And trust me, it is a beautiful property worth seeing in and of itself. The theme for this year is in it, but not of it, in reference to John 17, verses 16 to 18, where it reads, They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. So come on out and hear from the AC team as we share about all that God is doing across Canada and hear more about what we're passionate about and the great work that we just so happen to get to do in this region. So once again, that is Sunday, September 17th. You can head to apologeticscanada.com slash events today to RSVP. We hope to see you there. That's all for me. Enjoy the podcast. Hello, listeners. Welcome to the AC Podcast. I am your host, Troy, and I'm here today with Wes and Steve, and we are back for part two as we are talking about a healthy biblical hermeneutic. Gentlemen, how are we doing today? Great. Great to be here. Doing pretty well. Thanks. Good. It's a great day for many reasons because I get to podcast with my friends again, but it's also Ooh. my birthday, and I'm not going to lie to you. I am the type. I'm going <laughs> to let you know it's my day. <laughs> My kids were trying to trying to mess around this morning, and I said, no, today is my birthday. So for my birthday, uh, I would like you to just eat your breakfast. That would be fantastic. <laughs> Could we do that? And uh, they did that. And so through, if you're a parent, you've used this on your birthday. You're like, for my birthday, I just want you to not have a tantrum in the mall. And they're like, okay, reluctantly. <laughs> so it's in them. <laughs> it's in them. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. so how old are you now? 20? Um, yes, <laughs> I am at least 20. <laughs> You're at least 20. No, I am I am 33. And I said that to one of my uh, wonderful Christian friends. And they're like, ooh, 33. You know what 33 was for Jesus? I was like, dude, what? <laughs> don't like, go there. <laughs> it, was his crucif- it was his crucifixion year. I was like, wow, thank you so much. So you don't look a day over 32. Thank you, man. I appreciate that because I'm literally a day over 32. (laughs) But um, speaking of properly reading the Bible as to not use it in horrible ways, we're going to get into part two uh, of this topic. We we got a lot that we want to get into as far as talking about practically reading the Bible, interpreting the Bible, and how that's just going to help us better understand the Bible. So gentlemen, why don't you, I'm going to pass it over to you here. Like, how do we, like, where does, where does one start? I know, I know last episode we spoke a lot about, okay, just open your Bible, right? Start by reading your Bible. That's where it starts and allow the Holy Spirit to kind of, to guide you into the translations potentially you should be in certain levels of interpretation, but then how do I actually get how do i get better at it can i get better at reading the bible yeah we talked about this a little bit last week but um i'll say it again just for transparency's sake read the bible recognizing that it's a book right like i think i said last time it's not magic you know don't don't open up your bible and be like lord lead me where you want me to what you want me to know this week and then just kind of plop your finger down and you know Judas went and hung himself. You know, that's not a that's not the place you want to go, right? And then you know, turn the page and ah and go and do likewise. Like this is not how you read your Bible. Go and do so likewise. W- 
whatever you are <laughs> yeah, to do, do yeah, quickly. Kind of like. <laughs> um, so <laughs> yeah. uh, just reading your Bible, starting at the beginning and working through it. Actually, there's a really great resource that uh, I got my wife, Melissa, recently is the ESV Bible makes one that takes out the verses. And the verses are obviously very useful. But when you get a reader's Bible that takes out the verses, it still has the chapters. But if you take out the verses, I find actually you read it far quicker because you, you, you're not actually feeling like, oh, well, you know, I'll read till this verse or, or you're pausing or whatever. You, you read it more like a, a book or a novel. And personally, in my, my own devotions, I find that actually really helpful to just read it through, which is something, mm-hmm. you know, other people may not like that. I, I found it, and which is why I got it for Melissa. It was very helpful, if, especially if I'm just trying to sit down and, and read yeah. it, you know, spend time just digesting the word. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's good yeah and there are some resources out there where they take out the mm. uh, headings too because those headings are not part of the the original manuscript or anything like that those okay. are put in there by the translators and the um and and, and the publishers to kind of help you give you kind of get the gist of what is about to be talked about but that also takes some interpretive work, right? So sure. one of the exercises that I, that we actually did when I was in Bible college, you know, introduction to biblical studies, one of the things that we did was to actually receive the text without the headings, verse, chapters, or anything like that. And then we were to actually outline it. And that's actually a very helpful exercise as well. Yeah, like kind of study as as you're reading, determine, okay, where what what book could this potentially be in? What passage of scripture? What time, what period of history mm-hmm. is this OT new? That'd be that actually be really really cool. I think it would draw you to looking at scripture differently rather than it just kind of being kind of being spoon-fed. And that makes me wonder because with all of these resources, there's, you know, I'm I'm someone who I love hearing a book right? So there's, there's the Bible app and you can listen to, uh, what's his name on the NLT or whatever. Who's just like, and Joseph said to Moses or whatever. Joseph said nothing to Moses. That's not (laughs) biblically accurate, but listening to those, I I wonder what you like, how you guys have felt about even, even audio. Cause I know some people who have issue with audiobooks saying like, no man, it's not the same. Or even the the disparity between reading a physical Bible and, and reading on your phone. Because nowadays, if you say to people, hey, pull out your Bibles, well, they just pull out their iPhone or whatever. Uh, I was wondering what you guys, how you guys have felt about that. Yeah, I love audiobooks. I think uh, actually, um, and especially uh, I took a, a class when I was doing my coursework uh, in my for my PhD on Augustine. And I listened to uh, Augustine's Confessions. And I find that really useful. Just going on a mm. walk, getting the audio version, and just being able to walk and listen. For me, that's a big part in terms of my assimilation. Now, I think it is good to also read it, but uh, I'm not one of those sticklers who says, you know, an audio Bible is not. Or even sometimes I catch myself yeah. saying, I read this book and then realize later that I listened to the book. And I don't know if you're allowed to <laughs> yeah, say you'd read yeah. the book if you listened to it. But I think that's a that's a really useful tool that we have in our our tool yeah. belt. Uh, I find yeah. I don't know about y- you guys, but I find reading something digitally I don't remember it as well, uh, and I don't know if that's mm. like a backlit thing or a there's something tangible about a paper physical document. But just for me personally, that's yeah. kind of how I. There's some goes. scientific reason behind that, from what I heard. 
uh, memory is not simply a matter of recollection. It's a matter of reconstruction, right? That's mm. why mnemonics and those things work right, because yeah. you are putting the pieces together. And the more senses are involved, the better you can uh, remember something. So when mm. I try to remember something, um, I, w- I won't just read it. I'll say it out loud. Now, on the point of um, audiobooks, though, let's not forget that that's how the original, right, Christians, that's yeah. how they accessed, accessed scripture. Most of them were illiterate. Yep. And so yep. this had to be read out loud. So it's not like I had one very fundamentalist guy who had a certain idea of what reading scripture meant in the Bible, right? And he he was like pushing this idea that they must have had this parchment you know, at some kind of congregational setting and where everybody can read. I'm just like, but hang on, like most people were illiterate, right? It had to be read out. So you're actually coming in touch with something very historical when you listen to scripture being read out to you. That's a really good point. I didn't think of that because that's actually a big part of my doctoral research is um, I look at manuscripts to try to figure out whether they're produced for public or private consumption. And I don't know why I didn't make mm-hmm. that connection until you just said it, but that's actually what I'm writing about is that a, a number awesome. of our earliest manuscripts, I actually believe in what developed into things that uh, would be reminiscent of our chapter and verse divisions were actually produced for the purpose of reading out loud within these communities because mm-hmm. the vast majority of the ancient world was illiterate. Only about five to 10% could actually read to a basic level. And most of the time, literacy in that way is just... Uh, defined as being able to recognize and read your own name. Uh, so the standard is very low. Mm. Um, and But you obviously had individuals within the early Christian communities because texts were so essential who could uh, copy them and write them and read them. And you're exactly right, Steve. That is one of the primary ways for the first 400 years of the history of what we call the Bible. It was an audio book, if you want to put it that way, right? Yeah. 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 That's a really good observation. All, all the uh, all the audio Bible lovers rejoice. Yeah, There's yeah. Your... Everyone just took a deep <laughs> breath. Deep... Like, yeah. see, this is why I don't read. I just, yeah. I'm just trying to get closer to God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want it the way he did it. <laughs> yeah. So on that note, let's start kind of getting to the nitty gritty. Um, we've kind of talked about, you know, how to read the Bible. Um, but like, let's get into the hermeneutic proper. Yeah. So, um, Wes and Troy, when you sit down to read the Bible, like, where do you start in terms of interpreting and understanding the Bible or studying the Bible, whatever it might be? I think it, uh, in the last couple of years, one of the biggest challenges, or maybe things that I'm I'm really focusing on remembering, is that I'm not always the hero. or or ever the hero because sometimes we we read the scripture through the lens of i'm merely i'm merely the oppressed one versus never seeing myself as the one who could potentially doing the oppressing or doing you know being on the other side of the the coin doing the wrongdoing right i think for me when i open the scripture i I read it for what it is and i just Mm -hmm. And I try and pay attention to what sticks out to me and what pops mm-hmm. and what pops out to me. And sometimes that leads me to looking at some of the other references. And I think it's really important sometimes when you're in, when you're reading scripture and all of a sudden you see, you know, Jesus in the wilderness references Deuteronomy. 
Well, it's actually really important. And I've gotten into the practice of actually stopping and going to that that little section mm-hmm. that's referenced because it gives me a even better, well-rounded understanding of what Jesus was getting at. And actually the significance, especially in that situation of Jesus referencing something he told the the Israelites who were also led into the wilderness. So I think for me, I've when when I when I open the scripture, I I really try to go in without some preconceived notion, like I already know what it's going to say, or that I've got it all mm. figured out. Mm. So yeah, yeah. I think I mean we all have these sort of natural proclivities that we we uh, gravitate to, and mine is proclivities. That's a word. That's a word. Uh, <laughs> tendencies um, that we we naturally gravitate to that. I think I'm not your typical person in that I really have to force myself to read devotionally because I think my natural inclination is I want to study what's being there. And I think that that's been mm. a really useful and beneficial thing in my life. But I think it where I tend to lack in my regular reading of scripture is just maybe even not the opposite of what you're saying, Troy, but taking what I'm reading seriously in as much as I'm trying to get as much as possible, say into the sandals of Abraham and Mount Moriah, like to, okay, Mm. not, this isn't just a lesson that I'm learning. This is something that's written for me. And so getting as passionately involved in what I'm reading as possible, because in, in in a very like practical way, because I think my natural inclination is, um, especially because I, I, I try as much as possible to do my study and devotion in the original languages, is sometimes that can take me away from just being able to read it. So mm. one thing I have done is actually moved away to some degree from reading in the original languages and just picking a number of different really good English translations and taking a multi-translational approach and just saying like, okay, how is the NLT rendering this passage of Matthew and then how is the NIV and NASB rendering this and what can I learn from that? Um, Cause I think there's a lot of beneficial usefulness in being able to read the original languages. And that's been a, a huge a blessing in my life. But at the exact same time, when I'm doing that, my brain almost wants to go into study mode and to break things yeah. down. Mm-hmm. And that's almost too easy of a fallback for me and almost need to, I need not almost, I do need to push myself more and more to be able to say, okay, yeah, I'm reading about Abraham. He's at Mount Moriah. Okay. Let's put yourself there without, you know, like you said, Troy, making yourself the hero of the story, but getting involved and saying, okay, how would that feel? How would, how would those emotions be, be, uh, felt and, and, uh, communicated in a way that really makes the text come alive. I would just quickly add that that, that's really important, Wes, like remembering that, especially in our line of work, you know, just speaking to any people in ministry that are listening to this, the, that, that personal, you could call it devotional time, whatever you want, but that personal reading is so crucial in our line of work because you're often preparing message for event, for speaking engagement, for some form of uh, multimedia, right? And it's mm-hmm. so important for us to also have that time where you just open the book, you know? Mm-hmm. And and I, I, would, I would also add that sometimes my reading is seasonal. Like it's really based on mm-hmm. where I'm at and, and also what I'm really like 
believing the Lord for directly in the season. Like, God, I need wisdom in this area. God, I need clarity in this area. So I'm going to read about someone who I, I, I'm either led to or someone tells me about, man, you should check out this passage of scripture or this person's story in the Bible. And it speaks to that scenario. So it can be seasonal too. Yeah. And, and I think one really good example of that is when people are suffering, they often go to the book of Job to see how he handled suffering. Because I mean, if yeah. there's uh, a really kind of um, prominent figure in the Bible who suffered, we think of Job, right? Mm-hmm. And so we go there to see his suffering and we enter into that and we feel some comfort in the way that, yeah, it, it, yeah. in our human frailty, this is where we go. Yeah. But I wanted to talk a little bit more about genre because mm-hmm. we mm-hmm. did bring that up last time, but didn't we didn't really get into it. Um because a genre is really important in making sense of the text, right? Because we're going to read things differently depending on the genre. So yep. when we pick up a dictionary, there's a certain way of reading dictionaries. Uh, when we pick up an encyclopedia, we read it in a particular way. We don't go from beginning to end, cover to cover. We just go look for what it is that we're looking for. Dictionary is the same thing. I yep. wouldn't necessarily take a, pick up a dictionary and read it like poetry Right. Uh, uh, in a poetry, love, the concept of love is going to be described in a very different way than a dictionary might. Uh, mm. Same thing with newspapers, same thing with books of recipes, those kinds of things. Right. Um, I think we also just, there, there are certain things that gives you that tip off too, right? So if you hear, I, I know Wes has often used this example is once upon a time. When you hear that phrase, once upon a time, what do, what do you know about the genre of this, right? Yeah, exactly. And so there are certain things that are a little bit more immediately obvious. I mean, you start the book of Matthew and you mm. see right away there are names that are being listed. And it gives you right away, hey, um, these are uh, this is a genealogy. Right. This mm-hmm. is, and this is actually a good point to remember is that when we have a book, often that genre is not not a monolithic thing. It's not like the whole thing is historical narrative. There is there are parables, like you mentioned. There are genealogies. There are songs, like in uh, Luke chapter one, when Mary visits Elizabeth, mm-hmm. she sings a song, and so there's poetry in there. And so, um, so those are some cues. I mean, when I go to um, Mary's, you know, Magnificat or the the praise that she gives to to God in song. I'm not going to read that literally, right? Uh, I'm going to read that it, like I would read any poetry or song. And so, in in some ways, the text actually gives you uh, those kinds of um, like cues. Cues. Yeah. And I hope listeners, as we, you know, we're, we're in this, that you understand this is why we're doing this because it, it, it is not lost on us that for a new believer, and if we're being more, being honest, even those who have been believers for a very long time have wrestled with this, you know, when do mm-hmm. I take it, you know, literally, when is it metaphorical? When is it, you know, it, it, mm-hmm. it can be, it can be challenging. So, but, so I yeah. just wanted to, to give that caveat, like, this is why we're doing it. And we do understand the, the challenge that comes with mm-hmm. it. And and here's one mistake that people can make, and I'll just kind of wrap up my thought here with that. Um, so when you read a parable, one of the mistakes that you can do is this is to be taken analogically, right? The parable is an analogy to something. The kingdom of heaven is like this, 
right? Jesus says. Then, then I know he's starting a parable. Um, and so the story of Lazarus and the rich man, that's also a parable. And you know that story how, you know, Abraham says, there's this chasm fixed between us. And people can go into all kinds of speculations about what this chasm looks like. How wide is it? Well, how deep is it? That is to fundamentally miss the point of the parable because what what that chasm is supposed to tell us is just like Abraham says, we can't go to each other. Mm. That's it, yeah. right? And there, there's a certain finality to it. But then it, if you go into all that kind of speculation, now you're missing the – you're kind of stepping outside of the genre and you're reading it from a kind of a wrong interpretive grid at that moment. Much like I remember in Bible college, I had to do one of my classes was all on the book of Revelation. And we had to basically, I had to read through it three times. And I had to, after that, there were some certain questions. But then my final assignment was to write a paper about what I believe the book of Revelation was about. And Honestly, it felt like those those moments where there's this huge question and like it, maybe it's a math equation and you write the answer as A. Yeah. <laughs> because at the end of my paper, I said I didn't dive deep into trying to break down what I feel like the the beast is and this that. I said, well, the book of Revelation is pointing us to our need for Jesus because at some point it's it's about to go down yeah. and we're not going to be able to fathom the gravity of our sin nature in the midst of that moment. So it's not for me to get lost in when he's coming, how he's coming, and more to do with who came before so that I don't have to face all that. And I ended up getting, you know, like 100% on a paper. It was the only paper I got 100% on Bible college, but it was just... It was just one of those moments where I was like, I don't, I don't know, but I really know I need Jesus now. Yeah. And that was exactly what my teacher was, lo was looking for. I think that's a really great example, although the book of Revelation is a really tricky one because uh, apoc apocryphal literature has a context within ancient Judaism that we completely get lost in. Um, so mm -hmm. I, I think on that note, I would just recommend people go back into the archives of the ACLE, the Apologetic Scandal Literary Expedition, where Steve and I actually did one on the book of Revelation. Uh, about a year yeah. or so ago where we talked a, a little yeah, bit about a year ago yeah more about that let me just give us some some tools in terms of um context because this i think has helped me over the years because you have what are basically three categories of context you have immediate context when you're reading something which is just asking the question what is happening in this portion of the book you know and i think that can go a long mm -hmm. way in saying like okay what is happening luke is telling us a narrative because, like Steve said, he's giving us dates and names, but then Mary's singing. Okay, well, in the immediate context, the book can still be narrative, but there's a song right here. And I think that helps us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But then zooming out more so, we can get the historical context. And when I, I'm trying to look at the historical context, I'm asking five questions that I'm asking myself when I'm reading the text to determine the historical context of the passage. The first one is who is speaking or writing? Now, who is the author and why might that be important? And then the second is to whom is it spoken or written? Because that can also give me a, a lot of context to what's going on. You know, there's a difference yeah. when Paul is writing to the church in Corinth than uh, when the prophets are talking to the ancient nation of Israel. And Paul is going to mm -hmm. be using certain, you know, concepts and ideas when he's speaking to the Corinthians that might differ when 
God through the prophets is speaking to ancient Israel. So who's speaking yeah. or writing? To whom is it spoken or written to? And then the third one is from where is it spoken or written? Because that also, although it might not be exactly as clear as we want it to be, that's going to give us a picture. Is this in Israel? Mm. Is this in the Babylonian exile? Is this in yeah. you know first century Judea? Is this, you know, those types yeah, of things. Context matters. Yeah, and it goes a long way, yeah. especially when you see, you know, Jesus is speaking to uh, Gentiles and they're reacting a certain way and the Jews are reacting a certain way when Jesus is speaking to Samaritans. The context of those sorts of things go a long way in giving us a picture, okay, why is the Good Samaritan such a, a cultural bomb because of who the Samaritans mm. were? You know, if we miss that, we actually miss what the parable of the Good Samaritan is. So then the fourth is, mm -hmm. when was it spoken or written? There's a lot of arguments about dates. And then why was it written or spoken? So what's the mm -hmm. purpose in the Gospel of Luke? Yeah, what's, what's the purpose? Well, I think, you know, Luke puts very clearly his purpose statement right at the beginning. He's writing to Theophilus uh, the, an orderly account of the things of which Theophilus believes, but it's almost like an apologetic in terms of, okay, you believe these things, here's the evidence as to why you can believe it. So that's the historical mm. context. And then finally is the scriptural context. So you have the immediate context, the historical context, and then the scriptural context. And the scriptural context is what does the rest of scripture have to say about this subject? And you read scripture by interpreting scripture. So one of the best ways to probably articulate this is to interpret the Gospels via the teachings of the later books. And what do I mean by that? Well, the narrative events of Jesus' death on the cross and the Gospels are put into context by the supernatural event of the atonement and justification communicated by, say, Paul or Peter. So if you're reading yeah. the Gospels, you get one perspective, that Jesus actually historically died on the cross. But then you go to Paul, and boy, does he really dig into that. And you have this idea of justification and what's going on there and sort of this supernatural cosmic event. And that's where I think uh, interpreting scripture by scripture and then asking the question, what does the rest of scripture have to say about this subject really goes a long way in, in helping us in our like mm -hmm. regular reading, immediate context, historical context, and then scriptural context. That's good. Actually, we can do a quick sort of uh, exercise in reading it in its immediate context for example. And this will also touch on the idea of genre as well, uh, in who's writing to whom, all that kind of stuff. See if this passage will put all that together as we read through it. I'm thinking of the story of the Canaanite woman in Matthew chapter 15, starting with verse 21. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from the vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Yeah, you take that passage and everybody gets hung up on the word dogs, right? Did Jesus TikTok just call her? TikTok went crazy. <laughs> yeah. 
But if you actually read it in context, it actually makes a lot more sense what Jesus is doing here. And rather than him actually denigrating the Canaanite woman, he actually gives her the actually honor, if you will, the privilege of actually being an exemplar of faith um, that even the disciples and the Pharisees and none of them really understood. Um, now, there are a number of things that we can uh, pull out of this. And that's a really great example, uh, Steve, of of reading in the immediate context, like paying close attention to those things and where the and the gospel authors are really good at this in particular, framing, say, a miracle coupled by a narrative of something that's happening. You know, someone is getting healed because they're blind, and then the Pharisees are blind to Jesus's teaching. Like the the gospel authors, right. as mm-hmm. much as they're communicating narrative, they're also structuring their narrative in particular ways that are trying to prove yeah. a point. I think you guys you guys both raised a really good point in especially Steve what you were saying you can't bring in your specifically for our our listeners for the most part you cannot bring in your western point of view because it will mm-hmm. get in the way of what is being communicated you know yeah. like calling her a dog that was because that is how the jewish people saw her saw yeah. them and it adds a little fire under the faith in my opinion sort of so let me let me come in here and this is i think a good point i don't want to break your train of thought steve so we'll come back to you but the cuz i just looked yeah. it up the word that jesus uses is uh kunerios which is the the dative plural neuter of canarion which is a house dog so it's not actually like a wild dog it's actually a very soft term he's not calling her like Oh, you dirty dog, kind of thing, like we would imagine. He's actually, an, and and I'm sure you and like scavenger dog. Yeah, he's not referring to that. This would have been like a like a pet. This would have been a soft term, and so we can try to capitalize on that and being like, yeah, he's like, you know, this is. I mean, there was one TikTok going around. I think you actually sent it to me, uh, Steve, where someone was trying to make a point where uh, this is Jesus actually being racist. It's like, no, that's that's yeah, missing. Yeah. <laughs> And this is where paying close attention to the meaning of words is important, but being careful not to make too much or too little of words. Because like we said last time, we have to remember that we're reading an English Bible and you're reading scripture in a different language than it was originally written and inspired in. And so therefore, there is an act of interpretation in every translation for its purpose. And the danger is to put words in a vacuum and treat each word as if it means what either we think it means or that it means that thing in, in every instance. And, and I think yeah. this is having the mindset of a student too, right? Because you're, you're going to have moments in scripture where you, something stops you in your tracks. And I think that's on purpose. And I think that's a good thing. But what you do when it stops you is it, it should be to, okay, what is this? Maybe, what does it say? And we're in the beautiful age of, of of access where I can Google, you know, like it takes 30 seconds. Hey, what was this in the original translation? What did this, what was the context here? You can go and people have written, more than likely have written about it before you. You're not the only one who got stuck there. You're not the only one who stopped yeah. there. And allowing your your devotional time to 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 very gently and naturally bleed into a healthy study time as well. Because there's something beautiful that happens when you're like, oh, that's what that means. Wow. And and I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I have like this, this 
I feel I feel proud that I went that extra mile and it means mm-hmm. more to me. Yeah. No, I absolutely. Like I've been really loving the Gospel of Matthew lately because I've had a chance to dig into this particular book more. Um, and and so I think there's a lot of truth to what you're saying. Like the more you put into it, the more you're going to maybe get attached as is maybe not the right yeah. word, but you really come to appreciate it and love it, right? Yeah. So yeah, I, I think this was a great illustration too. Like when you look at the word dogs, um, not everybody's going to know the, the difference between the word kuon and kunarion, right? Like they, they, these two Greek words are different and the word that's used here, kunarion, is a bit softer, but not everybody's going to know that. And when you read it, it's understandable why some people might think is Jesus being a racist. <laughs> um, but at the same time, you have people like Wes and others who study the original language that can point that out. And then now you know something you didn't. right? And so don't. Uh, one, one encouragement that I have for readers of the Bible is don't expect too much of yourself. Be humble enough to listen to experts. Um, and I know yeah. in... in Bible college, I was taught to like not go to the commentaries right away, mm. um, and, and I can appreciate that. But at the same time, I'm just like, well, why wouldn't I want to go to people that have really studied this stuff in depth and learn from the, you know, like why wouldn't I want to see what they caught that I didn't? Mm-hmm. So immediately, as you're reading this passage about the Canaanite woman, a bell should go off in your mind saying, okay, Jesus is up to something here. Why is he doing this? It stands out, right? So it should catch your attention. So little things like that, as you read repeatedly, sometimes you catch, sometimes you don't catch that you see other people catch, and we can all learn from each other. Yeah. I love it. Steve's all fired up. He's fired up. He's in his wheelhouse right now. Oh, I right love now. this passage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, listeners, as we're as we're wrapping up here, I, I hope that we've been able to give you some practical uh, examples. And, and, here's, and here's the honest reality. Uh, we could keep going. But the the truth is, you you got to start by by opening your Bibles. You got to start by reading, and don't don't overthink it. Really, don't overthink it. This is the beauty of us having the Holy Spirit. Be attentive to those moments where something stops you in your tracks. And you know, as as the guy said before, you know, take some of those those practical tools. You know, maybe get it, maybe get a commentary, maybe listen to it with an audiobook, maybe look at multiple translations. Again, Wes said if you go to his his website, he has a graphic that'll kind of show you some of the better translations of the Bible for you to look at and look at look at different translations and then, you know, allow all of that to help, you know, culminate greater understanding and, you know, talk to someone who, who is more, more seasoned, who knows more than you. There's nothing wrong with that. If the goal is truly to have a better understanding of the word of God and how to really be a living epistle and walk that out, then do your homework and, and just know that there is great, there is grace, right? I thank God that there is grace in the way that we yeah. are trying to interpret scripture. And sometimes in our application, we're not always going to get it right. But that's why you read passages of scripture that talk about repentance (laughs) and and mercy. Let me just say a quick note. Um, I have a friend of the ministry and uh, fellow apologist, Tim Barnett, who works for Standard Reason, has this great line where he says, if you want to know the mind of God, you have to start by using your own. And so I think, you know, when you're reading the Bible, yes, you know, dig in, get involved, but also 
uh, make sure you're you're learning, learning about who God is, learning about who you are and how that fix, fits into the greater picture. You know, all of this immediate historical and scriptural context, that goes a long way, but it starts exactly what you just said, Troy. Just reading it and getting to that, stepping up to the plate. You don't need to hit a home run every time you come to your Bible study or your devotions, but stepping up to the plate will go a long way in just yeah. being able to be faithful and uh, honest with your your daily walk with Jesus. Yeah. Well, thank you listeners so much for tuning into the AC podcast. This has been part two. Make sure you go back in the archives or make sure you go back on the website and take a look at part one and on your favorite streaming platforms, make sure you like and subscribe. And we're also on YouTube. So make sure you go. And as the young people say, go smash that subscribe button. It's the, the shiny red one. We would appreciate your follow. But join us next week when we find more things to think about. And uh, as always, love God, love people. Bye for now. Love God, love people, love people, love people.